And welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. You can find me at my website where you will find many, many things. And that website is narctroopers.com. That's N-A-R-C-T-R-O-O-P-E-R-S.com. Today's topic is entitled, Why Do You Disintegrate After the Narcissist Departs? The annihilation of the discard is something that we're going to examine today and what to do when and if that happens to you. Suddenly, abruptly, without warning, they will discard you. After a year, five years, 15 years, or 30 years, they will kick you to the curb. And the one most important possible part to believe or accept or ever make any peace with is the heartless way they do it. It is as if the the person that you slept beside for months, years, or decades has suddenly removed their clothes and revealed the monster underneath. Wasn't it just minutes ago that they did such sweet and thoughtful things for you? Didn't they say daily, I love you, with the regular reassuring conviction? How could it be that this happens, that that they could be the perfect adoring partner one minute and then turn on a dime and shape shift into a beast, into a complete and total stranger? That's not just possible. It's, you know, you would think that you must be dreaming, but it is possible. It is possible and it happens. You know, there are a lot of different kinds of narcissists. Some of them are very, um, you know, the, the low level ones tend to lose their temper and rage and become physically abusive sometimes. The mid-range are able to control their fury and rage and keep it bottled up quite well and uh, you rarely ever see that they may feel contemptuous and hatred toward you resentment envy all these other things toward you but you would never know because they make little passive-aggressive remarks Uh, they may sabotage you here and there there's all these behaviors that the mid-range narcissist will do but they're rarely just overtly violent. Um, And then the high level narcissist, you know, sometimes they actually have enough awareness to know what they are. And they are always a cool cucumber. Yes, they are always in control of everything they say and do. They are masters of their domain, masters of the universe rather. And so they don't ever get violent. Um, but they are capable of it, just not overtly. So depending on what type of narcissist that you have, um, low level, mid level or high level narcissist, you know, you may see different things. Mine was a mid level covert narcissist so that he was always so polite and gentlemanly and kind and helpful and sweet 
and behind the scenes there were all kinds of terrible shenanigans going on you know porn addiction and chat rooms and and you know side pieces and f constant flirtations and and uh, you know and it escalated to things that I can't share with you but it it escalated to criminal behavior uh, at some point but through this all regardless of the uh, level of hideous and inappropriately uh, just horrible things that he did he was never mean he was never cruel like with violence or um, you know screaming and yelling and ranting and raving there was none of that none of it it's a complete lack of emotion with all of that and he was calm and cool and and very sweet all the time so that is one type of narcissist and there are other kinds that um, you know are not so calm and cool but um, the, what I'm telling you here about the discard and why it, it totally destroys you like it did me it just totally destroyed me it broke me and in ways that nothing ever has ever and I'm an old woman <laughs> I'm an old woman and you would think at this point in my life I would have encountered someone who would have actually uh, just destroyed me like this but no no it was this it was the narcissist who had the power to do that and I think it's important that we understand why so for those of us that get left behind which is ultimately always what happens after such tremendous loss uh, of what we thought was something uh, that we actually were probably um, addicted to or something it's beyond what words can convey the feeling of loss that we have and there's reasons for that that we're going to get into um, so we find any and every place available to try to tell our story to warn others to inspire the um, discarded person um, and to heal ourselves and um, you know it uh, that's just one of the first um, things that a lot of people are compelled to do um, and there's some healing in that I think that happens um, it's recovery that happens when we can reach out to others so um, there's a, a book that I want to uh, mention it's um, it's called the it's called ceremony by Leslie Silco and it explains that stories these stories that we tell the ones that nobody believes these stories um, they are not just healing they're the only thing that humans have to fight off illness and death and to stand up to evil um, that was the message the takeaway from that book by Leslie Silco and that really resonated with me for many reasons um, it tells the story of um, Tayo a disenfranchised biracial war veteran who is um, an indigenous person living on an Indian reservation 
with crippling PTSD that he's had because of his war experience and his journey as he attempts to reclaim his identity and set himself free of the trauma of the past. And um, so stories, you know, are important. We too are on this similar journey. We have to create a new identity separate from our partner with NPD and we have to break the bonds that keep us tethered to them long after they are gone. Uh, I believe it's called individuation. We have to have to individuate, uh, meaning we have to become our own people separate from them. There's this kind of weird um, enmeshment, sort of an absorption where uh, you become one mind like a beehive. You have hive mentality when you're in this thing with the narcissist and uh, his mind becomes your mind and he controls your mind as well. Uh, that's why so many times people who come out of this say, I can't believe I did such and such. That's not me. I wouldn't do that. I can't believe that I did. And they, they do things so uncharacteristic for what they, you know, for their usual self, that it's shocking and they can't understand how that happened, but it's all part of the hijacking of the brain. So the first step as we dive headfirst into this deep pool of narcissism is to learn as much as we can about what they are and what they did to us, what role we played that contributed to our demise and what the bloody aftermath actually looks like. It is uh, the latter that we're going to examine right now so that we can understand why recovery is such a slow and agonizing process and nothing like any other breakup that we have ever experienced, right? It's different. This is profoundly uh, a new experience for a number of reasons. What exactly causes victims of narcissistic abuse, betrayal, trauma, and discard to completely disintegrate, to just dissolve without the shared fantasy that they have uh, been living in with the narcissist for whatever period of time that relationship was? Well, one of the main reasons that the discard annihilates the victim is because it triggers feelings from childhood wounds, also called archaic wounds, because they are the old original wounding that a person experiences. Thus, it is a combination of present pain plus past pain that's still unresolved. So that's one reason it just knocks you on your fanny and you can't get up. It's not just the pain of the present, uh, of the discard or of maybe if you were one of the strong ones and lucky ones, maybe you got away first before the, the discard. Either way, uh, it's going to be difficult and that's why it hurts so much. It's a reminder of the pain that you experienced when someone during your early childhood development years hurt you by rejecting you, abandoning you, or neglecting you. It's an all too familiar feeling of invalidation and uh, invisibility, like you're not seen, you're not heard, 
you are not experienced. It's almost as if you don't exist sometimes when you're growing up, how you feel, um, you know, with your caregivers. So here's another reason. Next, second reason that it's so hard. Victims are existentially erased by a relationship that was never actually real. And there was a shared fantasy, also called a mutual psychosis, that kept things going. When the predator ensnared their food, which is you, they often hypnotize it, sedate it, or trick it in ways that guarantee it will be helpless and it cannot escape. Um, Such is the narcissist or psychopath's strategy. And even more than a ploy for power, they themselves believe that they have found the one, the one who will make everything okay. They believe their own fantasy version of the relationship. And before long, their partner has joined them to believe it too. It is intense and colorful and larger than life because it is a fantastical Disney version that in no way is grounded in reality, right? It's not, it's just, it's too good to be true. Who would choose a black and white, gritty, desolate, dystopian reality filled with all of the, the um, trials and tribulations of the real world, all the ickiness, all the hard parts? Uh, all the messy, stinky parts, when they can just twirl like Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire on a cloud high above the ugliness of real life and the suffocating uh, routine blandness of daily existence. There's this scene from Point Break, which is one of my favorite movies. I quote from Point Break quite often, actually. You know, um, and the surfer guru guy played by Patrick Swayze, he had this little speech, this little diatribe monologue one evening on the beach by the fire and all of his little groupies were gathered around listening to his wisdom. And he said, we are not like them. All of these people that creep along in their metal coffins day by day. And he's talking about all the worker bees who are in a rut, in a routine and just shuffle back and forth to work. Uh, in these metal coffins, which represent both cars and metaphorically the death of soul and spirit and spontaneity and all of that that we experience in the real world with such grueling routines where uh, we have to work two and three jobs just to survive. It's, It's soul crushing. So who would want to have that, right? Isn't it so much better to just live a fantasy? Isn't it just feel better? The experience is is unbelievably um, seductive to to do that, but uh, what do I want to say here about that? It's um, you know this suffocating routine. We take we the people that get tangled up with the narcissist. We take their hand and step into this dream willingly. It's not like we were kidnapped, you know, instead of victim, we were sort of volunteers. I know I was, I don't consider myself a victim. I was a volunteer 
And I had problems of my own that I brought into that shared fantasy with him. He had his, you know, share of disordered nuttiness and, and I had mine. So, I mean, he alone is not guilty of having mental health issues. I do too. And I'm guessing many of us do. So it's not about blaming who, who has the most problems, but it's looking at what it is and what happened to all of us in this crazy thing. What was that? Um, well, no dream lasts forever. And when this one ends, you fall tumbling with increasing speed only to hit the ground with a fierce awakening that shatters the shared fantasy and catapults you back into this bright, harsh glare of a, um, unpleasant world. You know, at that point you have forgotten how to live there in the real world and you long for the glitter and glam of the world that you have just been jettisoned from, you know, thrown out of, you've been cast down. Um, and it's, it's a harsh awakening. One of the hardest parts of my own recovery was letting go of this magical life that I had with my narcissist husband you know, at least 90% of the time in between his huge acts of impulsivity, betrayal, and perversion, um, you know, he was great. I was promised a future life closer to my family. Uh, I was, you know, something filled with new adventures, fresh beginnings. My family had begun to forgive his intermittent acts of the past that were horrible transgressions and sins and all of that, they, they were actually opening their door and saying, yeah, you go ahead, come. It's, it will, you know, move forward and with this and, you know, things were looking hopeful. It was just weeks before we were supposed to move when he suddenly discarded me. And for 16 years, I had accepted his version of reality, but slowly my quality of, of fuel and supply that I was providing him, it had diminished because of the harm that he had caused both me and my family over the years. With each betrayal, with each thing that he did that was crazy, you know, you you lose a little bit of that sparkle so that eventually there's, there's kind of, a, you know, an elephant in the room that this person repeatedly uh, over and over makes some really bad choices and does some very bad things that normal neurotypical people just don't do. They, they don't. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, he had burned through bridges and pissed where he ate, you know, he had to find fresher fuel, uh, time to find another girl with stars in her eyes like I once had. Okay, so let's move on. Another reason, yet another one, this is a different reason, that the partners of people with NPD, notice I said partners, I didn't say victim, because, like I said, I think not in all cases, but in many, it's volunteers. Um, so, 
Another reason that we, these people who hook up with these people with NPD, that we suffer from trauma-induced PTSD, panic attacks, acute anxiety, insomnia, intrusive thoughts, ruminations, triggers and flashbacks, depression, despair, hopelessness, and even suicidal ideation. The reason for all of that is simply that they, we, are addicted to the narcissist and trauma bonded to them. You know, trauma bonds are thrown around pretty liberally these days, just like the word narcissist. I'm not sure that's always correct, but you've heard it. Having healthy attachment styles and abandonment issues, like many of us have, only amplifies the situation. Emotional and psychological factors are only part of the problem. There are physiological and neurobiological things that happen to our brains that prevent us from being rational and having agency to make the correct decisions about expelling them from our headspace and just closing that door and saying, whew, that was something else. I'm glad that's over. Uh, people rarely say that coming out of these relationships. They're like, oh, I can't keep no contact. I can't stop texting and checking social media. And, oh, I can't breathe. I'm having a panic attack and I can't do this. And, oh, my life is ruined. That's what we're doing. We're not like sighing relief. We're sighing because our hearts are broken and we, we crave them like a drug. We long for them. And it doesn't even make sense why we would long for someone who disrespects us so much, so often disrespecting us in a million different ways. Why would we long for that? Why would we wish for that and think that that is what we need? Is that what we need, guys? Um, I don't think so. And so... Our neurobiological chemicals in our brain are dysregulated after, after all this has happened to us. And after the discard, you know, you've got all that stuff, you know, cortisol and serotonin and peptide addiction and, uh, you know, dopamine, all this stuff just flooding and spurting and flooding, you know, your brain and your body. And it's, you know, even the strongest person in the world, even Xena, yeah, Zena, the princess warrior, even she, if she had been with a narcissist for any period of time, she could not avoid these things that I'm talking about, about being totally just destroyed because she could not get, um, she would not be able to get control of her chemicals in her brain would be running amok. I mean, what can you do with that besides take prescription drugs that they give you and, and, therapy and all those other different techniques to try to get through it. It's not something you can just willpower your way through it, right? And say, I'm not going to feel this way. This is irrational. Done. Magically done. I'm, I'm over it now. Yeah, that's not going to happen. It's not. Um, so don't think like that. Um, there are so many things going on. Your brain is actually altered by trauma and repeated abuse alters it even more and changes it. And it can't just go back poof, like to the way it was before you have brain damage, literally. Um, 
so the chemicals are are released that that just do things to your brain and and it some of that can cause addiction and you can be addicted to people and not just to food or to drugs or sex or whatever you can be a person you can be addicted to that to to through the trauma bond you can have intermittent reinforcement solidify uh, solidify that feeling of you can't live without them because you're getting those dopamine hits every time they're nice to you and so they can practically murder you sometimes but you're numb to it you learn to desynthesize it and make it normal and just be numb to it like okay this will pass soon he's gonna stop beating me any minute now or he's gonna stop berating me or cheating or lying or or, or whatever it is that he's doing he's like gonna stop at any minute and then the dopamine's coming yeah 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 bring it come on I can't wait I need it yeah hurry I need it real bad right now oh yeah oh come on oh baby it's like that <laughs> it is like that um, and it's not our fault there's nothing that that we could have done to change the dynamics of those cycles of abuse that did this to our brains you know you're hooked you know you get just enough sweetness just enough relief just enough ecstasy to stay hooked and it's sort of like cult programming brainwashing with like a little bit of Stockholm syndrome mixed in there and um, you know when the narcissist pushes you away and employs one of their torture devices or shuts you out with the silent treatment the person suffers patiently knowing that you know it's going to be over soon and the good stuff is coming and um, you know it's it's like being addicted to heroin or opioids or something like that because your willpower it's stronger than your willpower it's stronger than your resolve to get sober a lot of the time this fear of loss has kept you bound to them and the cruelest part of it all is that your relationship with them causes you to lose everything in your life that matters and if not by your own decision to choose them over all other people then it's they're gonna do something to cause a fracture in the alliances with your family and your friends so that you belong to them completely and they don't have to share you with anyone else they become the center of your universe the Alpha and the Omega and they own you and uh, in the end you will inevitably lose the narcissist and the life they promised and you will be totally alone that's that's how it ends always the future faking where they promise you stuff it keeps you hopeful as you think that you can have your dreams come true if you just kind of hold on a little longer and don't give up you know and so all your eggs go into the narcissist basket and sooner or later they're gonna run away with your eggs and and your basket and all of it um 
Then they merrily relocate and love bomb your replacement with new future faking and your whole basket of eggs as a security deposit token of good intentions to your replacement. That's what's going to happen, guys. The narcissist consumes you. He objectifies you, snapshots and photoshops you. He devours you um, to internalize you and to cease, uh, you cease to exist as you did before outside of them. There is a symbiosis that is toxic and deadly as you are digested and absorbed. You know, you're not food. You should not be digested and consumed, right? You're not food. Um, uh, you are essentially vomited out of the narcissist belly. This is gross. <laughs> You're regurgitated and expelled so he can make room for another easy target. That's what finally happens. And you have no identity intact when, when that occurs. How does one exist or reclaim an identity when it is, uh, you know, a steaming pile of shredded, partially digested, rotten, fetid decay? There is no reclaiming yourself, no resurrection, no recovery from that. There's not even enough left of you to salvage from the wreckage. The only choice you have is to completely invent a new self and just be born again without the narcissist in your life. And that is no small task. And there is no quick remedy for it and that's what we all want right to fast forward to the place where we're okay where we have recovered and we're happy and whole we want to just get to that really quickly but it doesn't work that way in real life there is no shortcut there is no quick fix you have to do it you have to do it day by day minute by minute hour by hour and it's slow and agonizing kind of recovery because all this time you're having to work on yourself you have to focus on yourself and growing a new human out of a pile of ashes is something that kind of takes a while you know it might help to think of it as a second chance at life like if you're a golfer, um, it's a mulligan. You're getting a do-over. Uh, you know, take another another shot. Like those people who have near-death experiences where they die and come back to life, they are changed. They can never be who they were before. They have seen the other side. They have passed through the valley of the shadow of death. They have pierced the veil. You know, they they all that, you know, and so, so that's how it is with the discarded people like us. And the only thing to do is to just get up and start the arduous task of reinventing a brand new identity, new and improved 2.0 version of yourself, right? Uh, new, fresh keywords. Sometimes after they're gone, there's not enough left to work with. I have never understood how anything rises from nothing, you know, and that's what you're left with is nothing. But I do know that we can start over 
invent a new life. Uh, let the past fade away and turn to the future with faith, hope, and confidence. Now, and that is how we're going to continue to live. We start at the beginning and build a stronger, healthier version of that person who perished in the fire. Those people, the narcissist in you, those people are gone now and they cannot be resurrected. It is time to create something new. Don't be afraid. Nothing can harm you as much as what you just experienced. The next part can be whatever you want it to be. They will never, the narcissist, will never be free of their demons that are forever hungry and thirsty for fresh fuel and supply. They are empty without soul or substance and have to be filled by some external force. We are not like that. We have everything we need inside of us. We just have to reach for it, dig for it, look around for it. It's there. It may seem like a needle in a haystack, but it's there. No one said it was going to be easy. Us, but us, the ones who loved them, this is what freedom feels like. It's a gift. It's an opportunity. We have to claim it and follow our bliss. I want to end with telling you something um, that I, I think I've made a couple of videos on my YouTube channel. Yep, I've got a YouTube video blog. You should check it out. It's not um, as topical as the podcast usually are trying to address something like today. I've tried to explain why is it so hard to get over these dysregulated um, people, these disordered people whose brains don't work right. Why is it so hard to get over them? I hope I have shed some light on that today. And most of my podcasts have a message or some kind of, of um, something that we need to know to facilitate our healing. Uh, that is my hope that with each podcast, we're just a itty bitty bit closer to where we need to be. But the videos that I make, sometimes I just get on there and just talk about, okay, what's on my mind today? I'll tell you what's on my mind today, and then I'll go on and ramble about it for a little while. So my process is I write my articles on medium.com, and then I take those as a seed, and I use those articles that I write on medium.com to make the podcast. They have pretty much the same title, same message. I add parts and delete parts, but fundamentally, it's essentially sort of the same thing as the article that I wrote. But the videos have no script. They have no uh, message. <laughs> well, actually, I do try to leave people with always with some message of the day or something. But um, yeah, I announced it on there. So I'm going to announce it on here. I It's been two years and eight months since my husband of 16 years discarded me suddenly out of the blue. I knew we had, you know, you can feel that there's something off, that there's something brewing. And for about a year before he left, I, I knew that things were not as they should be. 
and they were probably, you know, a little bit more troublesome than they had been before. But I never imagined that he would just take off. That never crossed my mind and because I knew I would never do that. I would never leave somebody. Even if you hit a rough patch, you know, you keep going, you figure it out, you compromise and sacrifice and, you know, bend a little bit and find a way because you're partners for life. And I believe in that whole partner for life thing. Uh, there's a lot of arguments against it, how, you know, everything's temporary hogwash. <laughs> I believe in forever, forever love and forever partners. And you stick with them through thick and thin, unless of course, you know, there's abuse happening, but for if, if, uh, anything else, you know, comes up, that's not abusive. Yeah. You work it out. Well, anyway, shortly after he left me, he, uh, went to California which was where we were had planned to end up you know we we had planned to to go there we were going to go closer to my family for a few years and then when um when my granddaughter got old enough to not care whether i was there or not then we were going to retire to california and on the coast and be little snowflakes, even though we're not white. <laughs> we're not white, but we were going to be snowflakes. So what is that? When you have brown snowflakes, we were going to be mudslides. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that was our thing. And he took it. He, the, the guy was, is so out of his mind that I guess he thought it was a good idea to just take our retirement plan and just go there by himself and then replace me with someone um half my age <laughs> more less than half my like really young and um so that for two two years and eight months i have felt abandoned and stuck and left behind and i was going through all of this so much and processing all of this um researching it talking to you guys about it working on myself and I think I finally reached the part where it's like, I don't think I'm ever going to be a hundred percent. If I'm here, I'm going to have to go away from here. And I know that that's not possible. Some of you have children with your narcissist. Some of you have jobs you can't leave. Some of you have situations where that's not possible. But if it is possible for you to leave the scene of the crime, I think you should, I think you should do it because if you're in a new place with new people and new things all around you, you're going to be forced to have a new you. You can't go back to old habits. You can't, can't live in the past because everything around you is new and fresh. That's what he did. He was smart enough to know that would make things a lot easier. And it's taken me two and a half years to get up off the ground but I am, and I have, I know that I, I need to go. I need to go to California <laughs> of all places. Everybody from California is coming to Texas where I am. I'm in Austin, Texas, and they're all coming here. Well, good for them. It is cheaper here, but you know, it's just like one of those things on my bucket list. It's my retirement. I have to tick off that box. And now that I'm without him, there's not going to be the retirement part because it takes two to do that. A single person has to keep working. So I'm going to be working out there, but I have a great job 
and I wanted to let y'all know the countdown has begun in June, which will be the three-year anniversary of being discarded. In June, I'm moving out there to the West Coast. Probably not forever. It's too expensive. But I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to make a go of it. I'm going to try to work and manage myself and do all of that alone. Your narcissist can't be alone. My narcissist is not alone. He wasn't alone for five minutes. <laughs> Maybe ten. It took ten minutes to get from our house to probably my replacement's house. So it took him maybe 10 minutes to replace me, but they can't be alone. They cannot be alone. And, um, but we can, and we shouldn't fear that either, because sometimes when we're alone, that's when we're going to find our greatest truths. You know, I've been angry and resentful about that through this process. Like this isn't fair. I deserve better. Why did this happen to me? Um, how could he do such a thing? I'm the one with abandonment issues and he abandoned me and, and now I'm alone and he's got girlfriends all over the place, primary and secondary and tertiary girlfriends, side pieces and a harem. <laughs> and I don't, and I don't have anybody, you know, just totally alone. And I, you know, it's hard not to be resentful about that. And, I, but, but I'm past that now and I'm comfortable with having, you know what I have? I have integrity. I have strength. I have courage. I have self, myself. Um, and I think I'm closer to being whole and healed now than I have ever been in my life. Um, so I'm going to go out there for a little bit. Who knows? I may end up back here in Texas at some point. Uh, but for now, I'm going out there to um, have new everything. And, uh, and I think that's going to reboot my system and help finish, push me over to full 100% job done, recovery. The past is the past. It's gone. And I can just look ahead and, and not look over my shoulder ever, ever again. And uh, so I feel that that's close. I feel this is necessary. And I just wanted to tag this on the end of this. I mean, the focus of today's talk was why, why we have such a hard time getting over it. And oh my gosh, we have a hard time getting over it. But I wanted to share that I'm pretty close to that point. Maybe not 100%, but close. And the move, even though it's happening two years and eight months later than, than it should have, it just took me that long to, to figure out how to be um, strong enough to stand up and do anything. It's been a fight for my life. It's been uh, a fight just to, to survive and to keep going. And so um, you can't settle for something mediocre or less than what's going to make you feel fulfilled and happy and at peace. You have to go for it. And if that means move, move. If that means whatever that means, just do it because you don't need them. You depended on them for that external validation that, that narcissists do. They play the father, they play the child, they play the Holy Trinity, <laughs> all of it. But you don't need that because you can self validate and it's pretty good. You know, it's pretty good stuff. So 
uh, here's to health and the opportunities that their departure gives to us so that we can practice gratitude and say, yes, uh, we lived through that and we are better without it than in the middle of it. And even though the real world is really scary right now, right? It's pretty scary. It's still better than living in a fantasy that's not even real. It's like a dream. Dreams aren't solid, tangible, palpable things that you can hold on to that have substance or meaning or value. They're just smoke and mirrors. They're just puffy clouds. They're just swirling lights and glitter. And they don't mean anything. Your narcissist is trapped there in their fabricated, confabulated fantasy. And they believe it is real. But as you get closer to healing, you're going to see that you are better off and that you have an opportunity to have substance in a way that you could never have if you were living in Neverland with them. Okay, that's it for today. See you guys soon. Stay faithful, stay hopeful, and stay safe. Much love. Bye. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.